So, yeah. My name is John Compulsive. I've been in this program 12 years. Through the grace of God, I'm still here today. It's strictly through the grace of God. Uh, I love the tools. I love the steps. I love the fellowship. I love everything here. But none of that has a whole lot of meaning. Meaning if I don't have kind of relationship with my higher power. My higher power is like the North Star. Always there. And I always want me, my compass heading to be that way. My North Star doesn't waver. I'm the one who wavers. I, I have this image in my head of a rocky sea. And there's a lighthouse, another image I have of my higher power. And again, the lighthouse doesn't move. The light's always rotating. It's a bearing on both sides for the rocks. And only by keeping rowing toward that lighthouse am I able to maintain a recovery that's filled with love for my fellows, for other people, and for myself. I never used to have a whole lot of love for myself. There was always some sort of criticism going on, that wonderful inner critic that sometimes still does happen. When I hit this program, that started stopping. That started stopping. And now that has really been decreased, which is a blessing. I'm my own worst enemy. There is a critic inside of me that sometimes stabs me in the back. With this program, that doesn't have to happen so much anymore. My abstinence is eight years. It's a daily renewal, though. Without a daily renewal, I might get in trouble. Again, head toward those rocks on either side of my little boat that I'm rowing. One of the main tools I have is all of you. This incredible fellowship. I mean, what a gift this is. It is something that is constant. There are people I call. I had a cancer diagnosis about a month ago. And I've been going through the machinations of dealing with that. Yeah, I'm scared. I have a surgery coming up Thursday. Absolutely. However, it's wonderful the way this is falling out for me. First, I met with a surgeon who had a video conference with, others, with a team of doctors. From there, the diagnosis was confirmed. Last week, I met with a surgeon and his team. All wonderful people, all present, nobody standoffish or anything like that. They really involved me in what was going on regarding this. Where am I lucky? I was caught at an early stage. And there's a very, very good chance of success. Nonetheless, the fear is there. This is the only major surgery I've ever had in my life. So what the hell do I do to be able to allay that fear? Again, it goes back to program. It goes back to my therapist, too. I, it's just me. I'm a strong believer in, in the dual heading of program and therapy. They, they both enmesh, too, as well. To digress for a moment, how did I find the program? I actually was lucky enough to have an epiphany. I was sitting there one evening at a suite the size of Texas. 
And I, I had a half gallon of milk. I was going at it like gangbusters, just diving into it. And honest to goodness, folks, from somewhere, somehow, I swear something said to me, John, there's something wrong here. And this is God at work. It is God at work. I did not ignore it and say, oh, what the hell with that? I want to go back to my fun. I actually stopped what I was doing. And one of my dearest friends in the world been in program a long, long time. One of the most spiritual men I know. He has the emotional and the physical recovery, too. I ignored it up to that point. Something, something, I picked the phone up, I called him. He lives in the valley. The Friday night, he said, John, come on out. We'll go over, can I work with you? And so I went out and did that. And the second thing, he said, stay overnight, we'll go to a meeting. That meeting hooked me. I know I belong here. My heroine is sugar. Sugar will take me out as soon as any, any other drug will. I was well on my way when I was deep in my disease to that very, very tragedy. We woke up in the valley in this beautiful misty morning, went to this little church, walked in, and the lady who spoke told my story about sugar. The blackouts, uh, the, the constantly having to go to a convenience store to keep, her, keep feeding her habit and everything else. At that point, I realized I'm hooked for life. Yes, in the past 12 years, I have thought about leaving the program. I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do the work. I don't want to deal with people. I, I tend to be a loner by trade. But something has always kept me here, and that thought has left my mind. What helps me stay here? The tools. Tools I use are meetings. Sometimes I use writing. I'm a sponsor. I have a sponsor. Um, I do service. I do a ton of service. I really want to give a shout out for service here. Uh, service keeps me from thinking. I'll never forget my, my first sponsor shared that with me. Service keeps me from thinking. This is absolutely my worst enemy right here. It's, it is not a great neighborhood to hang out It's full of junk cars. It, it, it is full of suspicious characters off to the side saying, come on over, buddy, i got something for you. And, uh, you, you know, the, the, truth is, is, the truth of the matter is they ain't got nothing for me. What they have is only going to be my downfall. So, what's my head good for? When I get to the corner of walk and don't walk, look for the walk sign. When I'm at the store... Steer, it steers me now away from the sweet section, away from the salty and crunchy section, too. I get my veggies, I get my protein, and I get my fruit. Other than that, other than that, I really have to live in my soul. I really have to live with my higher power on a daily basis. My higher power loves me unconditionally. I remember... My first sponsor said, write a want ad for the kind of God that you want. Well, hey, I want somebody who loves me unconditionally, right? I've never had that in my life. There have always been conditions. I want somebody who's always been there for me. Boyfriends have come and gone. Uh, relatives have died and, you know, experienced trauma around that. 
So having that, again, the North Star, the lighthouse, having that is such a dependable source of light for me is invaluable that I can have that to head toward. So the fact that God is always there for me is enormous comfort. I've lost people. My dearest friend was my sister. I lost her about six years ago. One of my biggest fears is what do I do when I lose him? What were the two pillars that kept me sober? Three, my program, my sponsor, and my therapist. Those guided me through, again, again the channel toward that lighthouse of dealing with her death. I did something I could never picture myself doing, right? She called me. Just background, and some of you know about this, she was in a wheelchair many years, so she suffered enough. She contracted a fatal disease. And she called me on the phone, said, John, this is what's going on. I have two choices. I can either have a treatment, which will be painful, or I can go to hospice. What would you do? In a heartbeat, I said hospice. Instead of saying, Jesus, why don't you take the treatment? Your family will have you around. Well, what's hidden in there? I will still have you around. So this program has allowed me to see from other people's perspective what is going on. You know, it's not a me program. It's a we program, right? We're all in this room together at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning. I imagine some of us would like to sleep in. <laughs> but the pull, the attraction is strong enough to bring us all together. And this wonderful body of people, we're all from disparate cultures, we're all from disparate jobs, family life, religion, everything else. Yet there's a common bond that exists here. And where else are we going to find this in life? Some of us have found our closest friends here. And other friends as well, too. As I mentioned earlier, we call it a God Squad. I have my coterie of friends. And they are helping me get through this experience with cancer. I mean, I almost want to cry. Uh, And one of them is sitting here right now. The, uh, The love, the attention, the offers of help. Uh, the, the, the daily renewal of love I get from them is helping me get through this. Believe me, sometimes my choice comes up. I'd rather go to 7-Eleven and clean out half the sweet section. But what immediately counters that? I do not want to go back to the hell of compulsive overeating. Because again, If I go back to that hell with what I'm going on health-wise, I'm not going to hear what the surgeon has to tell me. I'm not going to hear what what his staff has to tell me. I'm not going to hear what my therapist has to tell me. I'm going to prefer to burrow into that gopher hole and live in fear and live in fear. And what the hell kind of life is that, folks, living in fear? I really believe we're meant to live in the sunlight of the Spirit, to be in that sunshine. 
to be able to see things clearly and not obscured by fog. In theater, there is a thing called a scrim. A scrim is a screen that comes down and is to make things on the stage look a little serious from the audience's side. For many years, I had that scrim between myself and real life. And I caused suffering in my life, and not only that, I caused suffering in other people's lives as well, too. Lost my respect for them. They lost respect for me, you know. People would say, John, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to get the hell out of your life. And that was painful. But never once, never once did I think I had anything to do with it. The fourth step changed my life. It flipped it around. To the column that says, what was my part? Wasn't I opener? I actually had relief when I read that. That life was not against me all the time. That people did not hate me all the time. That I had a part. I had a part in how they were regarding me. Now I can live my, a life with some responsibility. I can say, what am I doing in this relationship? Am I being a loving person in this relationship? Am I putting that other person first in this relationship? Or am I going back to the default of me, 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 me? What can I get out of this relationship? I would not have the support and the love I do for the people in this fellowship with my diagnosis if I kept thinking like that. So the gifts here are manifest. If, again, if I just take the time to use them, and use, they're like precious gifts. The tools. My higher power says to me, John, I've got these tools for you. No, no, I'm not going to give them to you. It's up to you to come and pick them up. I'm responsible for my program. My sponsor is not. My friends and program are not. Nor is anything else. The responsibility comes down to me to pick that phone up. To go to that meeting. To call other fellows. To make 12-step calls. To be able to do that. The 12-step is the most wonderful thing in the world. Uh, I, I go to a live meeting every... Oh, shout out for a meeting. I, I, I go to a live meeting at 12.30 every Sunday. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Tell me what that meant. No, that was just yay. Sorry. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought it was the time. My apology. Thank you. That, that, there we go. There we go. Uh, yeah, 12.30 on Robertson, the West Hollywood Recovery Center. We, we had a newcomer on Thursday. And this young man came in, and he was lively. He shared everything else. He's in another program, so he did have knowledge of the 12 steps and so on and so forth. And he was really eager. I, I talked to him yesterday evening, and we had a lengthy conversation. Something I've learned with a newcomer is keep my mouth shut. Listen. Listen to what this person has to say. Listen to the suffering they've experienced. Listen, listen, listen. If there is an appropriate point where maybe I can share some of my experience, strength, and hope, I do so. But again, like I said before, when I'm with another person, be there for them. There's a wonderful thing called active listening. 
I listen to the other person. I don't look side to side to look at somebody coming down or something like that. To keep my eyes riveted on that person, especially the newcomer. They're coming from a, you know, remember what I went through. Coming from a place of suffering, place of denial, a place of what do I do with my life now? How do I lose weight? How do I stop this eating? How do I stay to the cupboard? You know, questions, questions, questions. And I remember I had to as well. I'm very fortunate I had my friend to bring me in. But a lot of us do not have that opportunity. A lot of us somehow find our way to that door. And I always want to say to the newcomer, you have just taken a huge and brave step coming through that door. Not easy to admit. After a lifetime of addiction, after a lifetime of suffering, after a lifetime of denial. Takes a lot of guts to do that. Every day, like I said, every day is a daily renewal. What do I do to renew my program? In the morning, I read five things. I read for today. I read Voices of Recovery. I read the AA Daily Reader. I read as Bill sees it. And then page 86 of the big book on awakening. That unawakening really wakes me up. It, uh, yeah, absolutely. Keep me from self-pity, please. Keep me from dishonesty and keep me from self-seeking behaviors. I used to love living in those three countries. <laughs> self-pity, dishonesty, self-seeking motives. You know, poor me. Constant thing of poor me. All my parents got divorced. That's the way that I, I am now. Oh dear, I don't have a car. Poor me. Poor me. Oh dear, I don't live in West Hollywood. Poor me. Poor me. Poor me. And uh, what kind of life is that? It is not a life filled with love and respect. And again, not only for other people, for myself too. If I don't care about my program, if I don't care about myself, how can I do anything for anybody else? You all count. We all count in this program. And again, the more we can do for each other, the better off we are. You know, coming from that hell of compulsive overeating for the newcomer is huge. They walk in that door. A lot of them afraid of what's going to happen. I don't know what's going on with me, but I know I've got to change. How do I do that? How do I do that? I love being a newcomer greeter. You know, going up and shaking that person's hand, looking them in the eye and saying, Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. That can make all the difference in somebody else's life, especially somebody who's afraid, timorous, and everything else. The next thing I do in my morning ritual, my morning practice, uh, after reading those three, there's an old Christian hymn. I'm not of any faith myself. It goes, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, 
I lift my cry to thee. And it is a cry every morning. Keep me absent today. Keep me human. Keep me with loving and helping other people as much as possible. It's a tough world out there. There ain't no doubt about it, especially now. We've gone through the pandemic in some ways are absolutely still in it. Then after that, I go through the first three steps. Minna, I'm powerless over food, especially with his current diagnosis. Got to keep that one uppermost up here. The food will do me, as I said a little while ago, that food will do me absolutely no good and will reverse the course of my recovery from this disease. My life had become unmanageable. I admit it has become a little unmanageable around this right now. Things, I, I can get back into the poor me thing if I want to, like that. Again, the course correction is there. If I keep my eyes fixed on that North Star, if I keep my eyes fixed on that lighthouse, and use the tools and have all of you in my life. Second step. Came to believe only a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. That's it in a nutshell, folks. Because I'm insane when it comes to food. I can't think my way out of it. I can't do that. I've tried that. I've tried some diets. I've tried to do that. I remember... <laughs> After I'd been in, it took me a while to find a sponsor. I don't recommend that, right? So I designed, uh, I, I've been, it took me a little more than a year to find a sponsor. So I, I designed a meal program called King Cuisine. And, uh, you know, it, it was a meal plan that was, I had no idea what the heck I was doing, times, amounts, and so on. Well, the first time it lasted two months, the next time it lasted two weeks. So, I, I, I am the worst authority on my own food. My life is unmanageable. And again, without that dual path of program and therapy, it would continue to be unmanageable. I would have a life now that would be far worse than it is. I have a life that I'm grateful for on an ongoing basis. Third step, turn my will in my life over to the care of God as I understood God. My God is out there. It's nature. Look at a palm tree that's blowing in the wind, right? That palm tree is not going against the breeze. It's going with the breeze. It's following its higher power's will. And I see that's my time. Thank you all for being here. And make an appearance. I'll be back here in a moment. There we go. Okay, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are, are my own and those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, uh, your voice may be audible on the uh, OA podcast. Questions, please. Yes, Alex. Hi. Thank you. Uh, we're praying for you on Thursday. Thank you.
Um, you talked about like it took you a long time to get a sponsor. What was that like for your program before you asked somebody to sponsor you? I was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, my, my shares were just totally off the wall. I, I would say things I... <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> what? Once there was some dog doo-doo outside the door. And, and, and my share was complaining about that. <laughs> right. Right. One of my compass points during that time, though, was this wonderful secretary. It, it was a, at a meeting over at the GLBTQ Center on uh, Highland in Santa Monica. And after every meeting, she would say, John, you're doing great. Keep coming back. I don't think I'd still be here without her. So there, again, is a point where, where contact is so important. So, so yeah, I, I, I was pretty off the wall, deep in my addiction and everything else. Great question. Thank you. Hi, Joe. Thank you. I love your imagery. Um, I've heard you talk before about page uh, 417 about acceptance. And how do you balance accepting the situation as God's will and then taking action when you need to take action to do something about it? Sure, sure. I don't have a car. I take the metro. So it's up to me last Wednesday morning to make sure I got the times for the bus and the train and so on to get there on time. Without doing that, what do I do? I, I don't want to pay for a lift. I live on a fixed income. But able to do that, I was able to take an action, you know, action plan. John, you're going to get up. You're going to call the metro folks. You're going to find out this and this and this. How you get there. Accepting that is so important. Being based in reality with that. Being based in, gee, I don't want to spend the money. Reality being, I, I better get my butt to this meeting because they're waiting for me and there are going to be a lot of people involved. It's going to be a three-hour appointment. Bottom line, though, is acceptance of my diagnosis. If I do not accept that, I will not pursue an action. I will not pursue an action to help me take care of the problem with the cancer. I hope that answers your question. Okay, thank you. Hey there, Kathy. Hey! Great to see you. Good to see you. And here. all these people you brought with <laughs> <laughs> And I hope you all are coming back. John, how long is it more than this? You yes. to read the whole book. <laughs> you. you want me to read? Any question? Or yeah. Please. How long does it take to read all those books? Oh, oh I, I, I'm sorry. Sometimes my, my head goes, whoo-hoo. Um, it usually it takes uh, about 10 minutes because I really have to pause after each thing I read because you know sometimes I don't want to do this I don't want to do this practice I want to get up and go about my day right so especially the steps I really need to pause after every single step and think about that step that helps me center in my day the 12 steps 
are the thing that keep me alive, keep me going. To live in the steps as much as I can every day is so important. For me, the first three steps are really the most important steps. You know, they set the program up for me and, and they bring me to a point where I can go about my day in a loving and safe fashion. I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Hey, yes. Um, thank you so much for your lead. What, what, what is it that vexes you the most still that you have to let go of and how do you let go of it? What vexes me most is sometimes I like to sit there and watch TV a lot. And I tend to watch the news too much. So I really need to change my behavior there and read a book, get out for a walk, listen to some music, do some program reading, pick up that phone and call people. There's a whole galaxy of things I can do, other sit and watch the news and other programming. And, you know, get my butt up off my chair and, and go do something. Go do something. That, that really vexes me a lot. Okay, thank you. Hi. Hey, thank you. Courtney. Good to see you. Thank you for everything and good wishes for now and for always. Thank you. Um, you talked quite a bit. Um, Acceptance is the answer. Okay. What's happening in my life, like this diagnosis, it's there for a reason. Everything that happens to me in my life happens for a reason. I don't know what it is here yet. Maybe that other people say, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with this in, in, uh, in a fairly, I use the word fairly, sane and sober fashion. Um, a dear, dear, my dearest friend in program, we were having coffee. The second time when we were having coffee, he brought the document, acceptance is the answer. And that has stuck in my mind ever since. Being in acceptance of my sister's death. Being in acceptance of, I, I had a permanent falling out with my brother. Being in acceptance that, that I have to take the metro. That really helps a lot. I fight it. And believe me, sometimes it falls away. But if I can come back to it, if I can use the tools and everything else, I'm much better off. Answer your question. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Hey, Mark. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. It's great to see you. Thank you. Um, right back at you. You mentioned that you really do enjoy doing service. Um, can you expand on that? And also, is there a point where you find that it's, there's too much service that you don't want to go overboard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I started service early on in that uh, meeting I went to at the GLBTQ Center. Uh, I'm sorry, LGBTQ Center. And um, I started out as timer. I did a terrible job. 
I had I, I had a weird phone that, that that didn't have a timer on it, so I kept estimating and looking at it. I remember once we were supposed to have a five-minute meditation, and it was a ten-minute meditation. And I got done. But people were were nice enough to say thank you. Well, um, doing too much service. Oh my goodness, yes. I was at World Services, right? And I was on a 12-step within com- committee. And I shot my head up to, uh, you know, to be chair of the committee. And I put my hand down and realized, what the hell did I just do? I don't know anything about this. And I don't think I can really cope. So I, I, I talked to the person who was the overall chair of the uh, project. And I said, gee, I can't do this. He said, well, maybe you can find somebody who can. Well, she actually did it for me. And, 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 and a guy stepped up who I formed a relationship during the conference. So, as you know, like you say, Lillian, you know, you, you got to hold that hand sometimes, right? You got you to do that. You got to do that. Okay. That's your question? Okay. Okay, yes, please. Um, why does it actually take to spiritually surrender? To spiritually surrender, I pause. I have to pause. I, I have to, so to speak, collect myself. If I don't do that, I'm going here, going there, going there, going there. A thousand points. A thousand points. But by pausing, going one, two, three, four, five, six sometimes, seven, eight, nine, ten sometimes, I can find an inner space where my higher power can enter in. I can find a space where I can be seen. Believe me, I can be pretty damned insane sometimes. You know, there's a, there is a diagnosis that goes with that, too, as well. And, um, but allowing myself quiet time, I'm, I'm able to get to the point that you're talking about. I live in a city that has a vast amount of noise, a vast amount of distractions, and, and just a vast amount of bother sometimes. So i got to step back from all that. And most of all, I've got to step back from this crazy mind of mine and just pause. So that's the most important thing I do is pause. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? Right. Oh, sorry. Hi, Sean. Hi, John. Thanks for your meeting. Uh, did, your, did your concept of a higher power evolve over time? And if so, how? Oh, for sure. For sure. For a while, for quite a while, I made my higher power my sister. She is one of the gentlest, uh, most honest, uh, beautiful, kind, and understanding people I ever met in my life. When I was younger, I put her through some moves, but her love never, ever wavered. And, And to this day, to this day, I can feel her presence in my life. So it was my sister for a long, 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 long time. In fact, it was my sister until I changed my concept of my higher power to nature. And I've had this concept of my higher power, oh, probably for a good eight years now. And that's how it's evolved for me. Thank you. Carol. Um, thanks for your share, John. Can you tell us about your ninth step and some amends that you made that stand out? Sure, sure. The, the ninth step was something I actually kind of looked forward to. 
One of the most important I made was there, there's a man I knew many years ago. I was older and he was younger. And I exploited him sexually, mentally, psychologically. We still had a relationship going, uh, friends. And we were in the downtown library. And I, I thought about this for days. And I said, John, it's time to make amends to him. And I was scared. His friendship was important to me. I did not want to lose it. So I said to him, I'm sorry I did this to you. I, I, I went through. I'm sorry I did this to you. I'm sorry for, it, for whatever effect it may have had on your life. And I'm doing my best no longer to engage in such behavior with other people. And he said, yes, you did do that. And then we went on to have our coffee and so on. So that, 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 that was an absolutely huge thing. Make amends to my sister for what had happened to her. And again, going through that same process. I just want to digress. When I make amends, i got to keep myself out of it. I cannot say to another person, you did this to me, or you did that. Uh-uh. To take responsibility for my actions in life. And that has been a big one for me. And again, my sister was understanding, and, and she said to me she understood, and she thanked me for my amends. So, so those two right there are the biggest. I'm very lucky in other amends and so on. I, I've yet to have a person say, I don't want you in my life anymore. And that's got to work right there. Answer your question, okay? Okay. Hello, Ben. Hello, John. Um, thank you for your service. Um, my question is, what is your process of releasing and letting go anger and judgment? <coughs> judgment. Resentment. Judgment equals resentment for me. I walk. And just yesterday, I'm crossing there. There's a stop sign. I'm crossing the street, and this person takes a left, and it looks like they're heading right toward me. So I go, hey, what are you doing? And she was yelling something at me, and I said again, what are you doing? <laughs> Years ago, there were meetings used to be up at St. Thomas Church on Hollywood Boulevard. I was doing the same thing. And something told me, John, call your sponsor. I called my sponsor. And what he said to me, the first thought is yours. After that, you got to turn it over. So being able to do that really, really helps the situation a whole lot. I don't know what's going on in that person's life. Maybe they have COVID. Or maybe somebody died from COVID or they're getting a divorce. Or, or maybe they're late for work or something like that. Whatever is going on in their life. So forgiveness. What do I do? Number one, I pray for the person to have everything that they want. Number two, I forgive myself, because again, I'm my own worst critic. And number three, I turn it over. I, I don't want to hold that stuff around. I, I don't want to do that at all. I want to be able to let go of that judgment. I want to be able to let go of that resentment and continue as much as I can to live life in the sunlight of the Spirit. Hope that answers your question. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, 
Sure, my parents had a horrible relationship. It was violent. We lived in a town of 6,000 people. They have a, had a variety store, which is similar to a Woolworths. Um, on, the, uh, on the outside, they were the perfect couple. They were active in their church. They were both good-looking people, and they both really knew how to dress. Very sociable people as well, too. At home, it was living hell. My, my dad uh, would beat my mother. My sister's 11 years older than I am said to me, John, you have the worst of it, absolute worst. And that's where my volume eating came from. I, I would have my head very close to my plate and shovel it in, get away from that table as fast as I could because I knew at some point the explosion could happen. Okay. And I, I would go to my room and hide there too as well. And that's it, folks. <laughs>